You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new Centerfire Rifle Ammunition Terminal Ascent. Now, the Terminal Ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The Terminal Ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet and it comes in a variety of cartridges including the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 28 Nosler, the 7mm Remington Mag 30-06 and the 300 Win Mag. If you want to find more information about the Terminal Ascent, visit federalpremium.com and while you're there, check out It's Federal Season, the official podcast of Federal Ammunition. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. This week on the Hounds and XP podcast, we're doing something a little different, guys. Lauren and I sat down to record a tailgate talk, and then before we knew it, it turned into a full-scale episode, and we had such a good time that we decided, hey, let's just run this bad boy. We talk about all kinds of stuff. We talk about what it was like getting into the sport of hound hunting, just starting out, finding mentors, is first dog love a real thing, and a lot more other stuff. Silly stuff, fun stuff. We laughed a lot. My cheeks were hurting by the end of the episode. It was a great time. Serious moments, hilarious moments, and Lauren got a new prison name. Hey, before we get started the episode, guys, I want to take a quick moment to talk about some of our friends of HXP. I want to start with Paws of Protected. You've heard me talk about them before. You've heard us all talk about them before. The reason we talk about them is because HXP endorses products that work, and Houndsman know that Paws of Protected is one of those products. You put it on your dog's feet, it's a preconditioning uh, product. It helps keep their feet strong, helps them resist damage in the field. I use it on my hounds. They just ran over some really rocky terrain, chasing a hare, 
guess what? It's on their feet now to help those injuries heal up even quicker, and I know they got damaged less because I preconditioned their pads. Another thing I want to talk about, you guys, is Freedom Hunters. They're an organization that helps get wounded veterans and Gold Star family members back out in the field to enjoy hunting, either for the first time or again. And I just can't speak highly enough of Freedom Hunters. Check them out on their website at freedomhunters.org. It's an organization that we can all get behind. Lastly, guys, I just wanted to bring attention to our Patreon page. Look, we are always putting out new content on the Patreon page at least once a week, but we also do our monthly prize drawings where we give away sweet HXP merch to our Patreon fans. We do those live drawings once a month on our uh, Facebook page. And also, guys, I'm posting our tailgate talks there. The tailgate talks are just uh, bonus material mini podcasts where I talk to the fans directly and we talk about anything we want. Guys, I'm dead serious. I love to talk to the fans. Reach out to me, message me on Facebook, message me on Instagram, or drop me an email. You can go to houndsmanxp.com, go to the contact us page, boom, you'll have all the ways to get a hold of me right there. Let's talk. I love it. And I'd love to have you on a tailgate talk. Don't forget to check out houndsmanxp.com. There you guys can find everything you need to know about the podcast, who our friends are, how you can support us, who we are, and our mission. Thanks for tuning into the podcast, guys. We really appreciate it. Always thinking about preserve, protect, promote. And without further ado, here's me and Lauren talking about, well, <laughs> lots of stuff. Hey, Lauren, what's up? Hey, Seth. How's it going? How's it going? <laughs> it's uh, it's going good. I think I'm in like um, serious withdrawals and not from like alcohol or drugs or anything like that but uh bear hunting it's a drug <laughs> don't kid yourself it, it's no, a drug it totally, like i was thinking today in my spare time <laughs> while i was working um that like coon hunting isn't always like the same rush that i get when i'm bear hunting i get like so excited and it's like such a rush of energy and everything that i'm like like that's an addiction. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is going strictly on imagination here, but I mean, a bear can come out of that tree and whip your butt and a coon really couldn't. I, I'm just saying like the, the charisma and size of a bear kind of inspires more of a rush. I would imagine, but this is all imagination. Yeah. I hunt a jackrabbit, like, so. <laughs> <laughs> but you get the rush too. Like you said, oh, like man. we're, we're going to figure that out this winter. Oh, you better. Um, I'll get yeah. to see what it's about, but yeah, I mean, the bear could certainly come down. I'm just glad you have an army of dogs between you and them. <laughs> it's not always an army. So. <laughs> well, it's not always an army. <laughs> but you two can tell. To five like, feels better than none, I would think. Yeah, I mean, you can tell when they want to come down when they're like angry and they don't want to be up the tree. Um, and when they, I mean, I haven't had one rush me, but they usually run the other way. But you always have a weapon on you just in case i i uh, worked for a salvage crew which is like a a crew that goes out and collects endangered fishes from streams that are imperiled so usually it's ash flows from forest fires and when i was on the salvage crew i worked in the mescalero reservation and i worked uh near the town of ruidoso new mexico up in the up in the highlands above it and uh one time there was a a big forest fire i think it was the called the little bear fire ironically enough. Anyway, it displaced a lot of bears. And I had more close encounters with black bears that summer than I had in my entire life. And I remember the first black bear I ever saw 
I thought it was a porcupine. It was like so oh small and scrawny. Yeah. yeah. And it was a cinnamon color too. So I was like, is it a color phase bear? And I remember looking down like 50 yards below where we were standing and I had left my pack there and I just looked down the stream and this, what I thought was a porcupine was like sauntering up to my pack. And I was like, that is the weirdest looking porcupine. And then I was like, that's a bear. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap, that's a bear. And I like stood up and like made some noise and it just took off. And all summer I just saw tons of bears and they always run away. Like, obviously yeah, I wasn't worried like, I was going to get attacked ever, but good it surprised it, me how scrawny and pathetic they can be in New Mexico. I, I'm sure in the East coast where there's a lot just, more food, they're huge and powerful. Yeah, compared just to here. little ones in general, you know, they look scrawny and pathetic, like little yearlings or ones that, you know, mom booted out because she had another litter or something, or yeah. I don't even know what you call it. It's, it's not a litter like dogs. It's, it's maybe hmm. it is. That is a good question. I don't know. I, I'm a, I'm a, a, admittedly, I'm a small mammal biologist. So I don't really work a lot with bears and top carnivores. That's for people that had a better yeah. GPA in school than me. <laughs> it's highly yeah, competitive. I, I like nerding out on like animal stuff. And I was always like into animals, but I, I don't have all that knowledge. Yeah, um, I, uh, I think I do. But in reality, I don't. There's just too much. <laughs> okay, I'm Googling it right now. What is a litter of bears called? Um, a sleuth of bear, uh, a group of bear cubs is called a litter. Okay, perfect. Um, sleuth of bears is also coming up on um, Google, which a I kind sleuth. of like. I really want to call it a sleuth. <laughs> <laughs> if that's the official like a, term. A, a sleuth of three cubs. Like. <laughs> okay, HXP world. You better start referring to a group of bears as a sleuth from now on, we're even gonna, if it's not. Yeah, we're, it's, we're coining it. It's now a sleuth. <laughs> There's like a murder of crows and like a business of ferrets. Those are all real. Yeah. And but who uh, makes uh, those up for real? <laughs> and uh, what do you call the pigs, the group of pigs? Sounder. Sounder, yeah. That's perfect, though, because they're don't super they call, loud. Don't they call groups of something in Australia something really weird, too? Well, they call a mob of kangaroos. I like okay. that. Yeah. Well, That's kangaroos legit. totally mob. Like hopping around, and those things can like kill you. <laughs> so like they're totally they are mob. Like yes. <laughs> My buddy Luke, who we had on the show, he knows the guy who punched that kangaroo in the face on YouTube. It was attacking one of his pig dogs, <laughs> and that pig dog had nothing to wanted nothing to do with that kangaroo. It was just standing there being like, "Help me, please." And then the guy ran up and punched the kangaroo in the face to get it to release the dog. That is, it's, that's bad. It's crazy. Like those grown male kangaroos with all their muscles and everything, it, it freaks me out because they look oh, kind man. of human in a way. They're like bipedal rat deers on steroids. They're so crazy. Oh my gosh. You're so right. They are rat deers. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. They're so big. Red oh. kangaroos at least. I would run the other direction. Like, that's one I'm like, nope. There they are, monsters. I bet all the Australians listening are laughing their butts off right now. You know, because... like, we those every day, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even going to try an imitation. I was going to try to make fun of Corbin and do an Australian accent, but I, I just cannot do accents. So good try. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even... I don't think we can even call it a try. It's like a... <laughs> fail <laughs> no it was good enough it was good enough <laughs> uh, 
All we, all Americans, the only thing we know about how Australians sound is because of Steve Irwin. That's it's true. Only- it's true. That's a great, that is a great Bad icon of your culture, though. It, it, ours is like Snooki. I grew up with Steve. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. American what, icons are not the same. Snooki? Yeah, you know, from like Jersey Shore. Oh, yeah. Well, I wasn't allowed to watch that. <laughs> it wasn't how we it- were adults, though. Maybe. I wasn't maybe, allowed to watch like, that. Maybe my mom was like subconsciously <laughs> like <laughs> censoring my TV activities. When's the last time you turned your dogs loose on some bears? Uh, I was actually just thinking about that today too. Um, it was because I didn't go the last week of training season because I thought Cedar was coming into heat. So it was like the... Wait, it was definitely August. I'm looking at the calendar now. So it was like the the 21st, 22nd, 23rd mm. of August. So that's crazy. And I don't like it. <laughs> and um, I'm going bonkers. The don't dogs are going bonkers. If you I've don't gone... like long breaks. <laughs> right. Um, you have to take like four months off and it's the worst. And like I've been going coon hunting. Um, and it's been frustrating to say the least. Um, What's happening? Well, I, I think I have just really high expectations and I kind of forgot how I started Piper and everything. It just seems like she was such a magical dog and everything just happened perfectly that I thought the same thing was going to happen with, with Ridge, Mm. who is now a year, a year and a couple weeks old. And so I've been taking him out and like right when I got back from bear hunting, he treed one on on his own. I don't think it was a far track because it was right off the cornfield. But like the past couple nights that we've gone out, he won't range out super far. And he's treed two slick trees. And um, I don't know. I've also think I've been in thin coon, but I'm just, it's just like frustrating because I just have... I have such a good coon dog and Piper and she's a remarkable bear dog too. Um, that it's hard to regress and remember to like, it's okay to take the baby steps and it's okay for that dog to like not get it right away. You know, as beginners, I mean, I've only been, I mean, I've only been running sight hounds for three seasons so far. And I I was always wondering, like, do do you think you have like first dog love where you're just like totally in love with your first dog no matter what and I wonder if I ever have blinders on so I'm always trying to be like super oh, we objective. have blinders on for sure yeah I think everybody gets them yeah I mean Pronto is a totally excellent rabbit dog but you know I've been blown away by his sister more this year than I have by him and I, I run with other people and I see a lot of other dogs so I'm always trying to be as like unbiased and objective as possible and I just I still can't shake that completely because Pronto is a great pet so that doesn't that that also makes me like bonded to him a lot more but Mm -hmm. his sister really has blown me away today she caught one by herself which is a huge achievement it's very difficult to catch one by yourself you need two or three dogs yeah yeah and I mean two really good ones and I've gotten so lucky you know I've been coursing with guys that have been running for decades 
And they're like, you're super lucky. You started off with two killers, like really good dogs right off the bat. Yeah. A lot of people do not get that lucky. So I thank you. We both, I think we both got very spoiled with the dogs that we started with. You know, it's crazy. My, my friend, uh, well, who I got those dogs from, Mr. Dean Bohannon, he has told me that in the last 10 years, he's seen just a massive increase in the quality of running dogs across the West. And he's like, now is the golden age for like really good dogs. Like everyone has good dogs now. He yeah. was saying like, so not, just to be... his hmm? not just his breeding. Oh no, no. Like, like everybody. He's like, wow. lots of people have lots of really good dogs all across the West. And yeah. So, I mean, I think right now I'm very lucky. I got in right in the golden age of really good dogs. Everyone seems to have great dogs right now, at least in the sighthound world. Yeah. I think in the hound, in the, the scent hound world, that's different. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's maybe there's some bad lineages of sight hounds out there, but I've never heard of them. <laughs> I think, um, the, you know, uh, I don't guy... think it's necessarily lineage. It's just, there's so many, I don't think there's as many sight hounds, you know, that there are as scent hounds. So there's so many that just probability wise, like even if you talk about one litter, what percent on average turns out to be a really good dog. Mm -hmm. And then you just multiply that by like the total scent hound. That's a very good point. Your, your sample size is so huge. Yeah. 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 That's true. But, That's true. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking about, you know, beginners and getting started, but, and, and this, this year has been so, so late last year was the first time that just my two dogs, they're young. Um, just my two dogs were catching hares on their own without the assistance of older dogs teaching them how, and yeah. it felt amazing. And, and this year I've just hit the ground with just my duo and my pup and they are just blowing me away. So, so I've coursed 14 hares with my two and they've caught 13 wow. and I, I'm just like on cloud nine. It feels so good to just go out with your two dogs and crush it. And I I'm just your messages where you're like you are like Seth you're already a very pumped dude like you're <laughs> always excited all the time and you have endless amounts of enthusiasm and but oh, then messages, <laughs> I'm like whoa <laughs> I'm like I'm so happy for you at the same time you know my wife she knows this firsthand and I think she kind of like laughs when she hears those messages because I'm like over the top pumped <laughs> yeah I don't really have a whole lot of people that I can share that like, ah, I'm so excited with. <laughs> mm. I do everyone. I'm shameless. A hundred percent shameless. I took all my pictures in my sandals today. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Paws Protected. All my cracks healed up, right? which is great. <laughs> good. Good. And then just they're not going to crack up again now because you're going to keep them soft and supple. There you go. That's right. It's true. <laughs> it, it it really is great. Like it really has helped my feet a bunch. I was like, man, I, the dog's feet look good. I'm just gonna put it on my feet. So yeah, I, I mean, I totally believe you on it. I don't wear sandals out into the woods. That would cause a lot of problems for me. <laughs> um, but I, so I wore my, I have um, lacrosse boots that I wear all bear season and like I've you know I've got lady feet and they're very nice and I keep them like nice and pumiced <laughs> and everything like that they're very nice feet That's um good. but I realized I got back from bear camp after being gone for like two months 
And I'm like looking at my feet while I'm sitting on the couch or whatever. I'm like, dang, like there's a lot of like blisters and calluses and stuff <laughs> that normally aren't there. But that was like, you put in the time, Lauren. You put in the time. Yeah. What what kind of lacrosses are you wearing? Um, it was actually the kind that was advertised on this podcast on the Sportsman's Nation side segment, the Windrows. Oh, okay. Um, I think I wore the Venom scent HDs for a long time. The snake scent, uh, 600 gram um, boots. They're, they're, I wore them out to New Mexico, New Mexico, Arizona, Navajo Nation too. Huh. Nice. When we did that, and so far they've been really good, and they've only gotten wet inside when I was up to my knees in water. So I don't blame them about that. You know, I, um, I worn a lot of snake boots for work cause I wear them in all summer and I've worn Rockies, I've worn Danners, I've worn lacrosse and the lacrosse venom scent are my favorite ones overall. Um, they were, their zip side is really nice when you're wearing 18 inch tall boots. It's nice to be able to get those off easier like that. How did that work though? With all like the sand and the grit of the desert though? No, that's the thing though, is that they keep everything out of your shoe. That that's what makes the best thing about wearing those knee high snake boots was that they keep all of the brush, all of the sand, all of the stickers and stuff out of your shoe and yeah. kept your legs protected from the spiky brush. And I'd been struck by rattlesnakes twice. So they ah! were, they were like, you've got to do some rattlesnake eradication before I get out there. Just like, <laughs> well, no, you'll another... be coming in the winter. They're not out. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another thing. And I'm like, nope. You know, they're not that bad. They warn you before. That's the nice thing. But maybe that day I'm just going to be extra stupid. I don't know. (laughs) And I don't have a thing against snakes. Like I'll pick up like regular snakes all the time, but. uh, You're not picking those ones up. Nobody Mm, is. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. I, um, I don't have a problem with snakes at all, but I really dislike rattlesnakes that they're a thing. Like I don't hate them. I just hate that they exist. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I just despise that they're a thing that I have I to didn't worry know about. That there's like a season for them? No, no, there's none. New Mexico okay. has really weird laws about that. Oh, okay. Yeah, probably because it's a lot more regulated there. It's kind of a bluer state. New Mexico mm-hmm. is really cool like that because we're really kind of center, even though we have like an all blue legislature right now. Like New Mexico has really, really conservative. Um, like traditions and culture in a lot of ways and also kind of like a really liberal culture and and I think it really makes a nice fusion because you have this like cool like wild west artsy culture but also like true grit like freedom like I don't want to say lawlessness but but there is kind of a wild west feel that's still totally alive here and I really like it yeah and the the approach to like hunting and game oh it's great like mostly the best in the country it sounds like well i'm a little biased and i since i work for new mexico i i kind of get a little bit of an upper hand in the my view of it but i don't work for game and fish so to all the people out there that are new mexicans that are like oh, i hate game and fish that's not me <laughs> but uh yeah I, I don't think they do a bad job at all it's a tough spot working in wildlife is always difficult but one thing I was going to say is that in New Mexico, it's actually not illegal to harvest or keep any herps out there. So like reptiles and amphibians. So if you just want to like, like go what is out that, and... What are you talking about? Herps? Like, so the study of reptiles is herpetology. Like herp, herpetology. Okay. Yeah. 
So like uh, when you say herps, it's funny if you, like a lot of the reptile dorks that I work with, when they want to go like look for reptiles, they say go herping. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> that's what I tried to avoid in college. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I should have, I should have known that term because I was all about like the toads and frogs and salamanders as a kid. And I knew what entomology was. So like, why did they not know about herpetology? That's true. Shame on so, you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Shame on my dad. Oh, shots fired. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. You'll find these stock tanks that are way out in the middle. So, so like humans have modified habitats everywhere. And one thing they really did that kind of messed up a lot of these really intense desert ecosystems is the like stock industry put in all these artificial waters where they like dam up uh, overland flow zone and create these artificial pools out in the middle of the desert. And that's really like led to the marked decline in a lot of these really unique hardcore desert species. But what always blew me away is that you can find these stock tanks that are out in the middle of nowhere and they're surrounded by just an island they're like an island of water in an ocean of just pure brutal desert and you'll find spade foot toads in those pools and i'm like how in the world did like a three inch toad find this pool of water in the middle of nowhere sure. it's incredible how, yeah how did it end up there in the first place yeah they have like the spade foot toad is in this incredible native toad to new mexico and they spend all of most of their life underground in a term called estivation, which is kind of like hibernation, except they go into a suspended animation where their heart beats once a minute and mm -hmm. they can survive underground for years until a combination of being hydrated by rainwater and thunder like brings them up and they just have these mass mating events and then they feast as much as possible, lay a ton of eggs and just rebury themselves in the soft mud and wait for the next storm. It's like- Nature is so cool. I know. That's why I made a career out of it. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's so awesome. I've got this huge toad that's living outside my um, side door of my house. And pretty much every night I see him and I, he's getting fatter. And I'm surprised because they walk right, right past him every night when I let him out. Well, um, some are poisonous and animals learn to avoid them. Well, Piper hopefully learned her lesson. She uh, had one in her mouth right before we left for bear camp. And foamed up and all that stuff. Yeah, bufotoxin so, is the term for toad toxin. Mm. Yeah, and it like makes dogs crazy and high. I might, there's a kind of toad here that my dog got kind of addicted to, my like poodle mix. It's my wife's, everybody. It's not mine. <laughs> well, he's mine. He's pretty cool, but he's definitely a non-contributor. Anyway, he got like addicted <laughs> to licking toads and he would like go out there and lick <laughs> them and get super blazed and then just lay around the house. Like, it, it yeah, it's crazy. Just like side effects of like a frothy mouth yeah it, i mean he would get all crazy like high. like yeah yeah his eyes would get all red and he would just like chill out on the floor with a froth mouth not like in a sick way just in like a blazed right. way like i don't know how to describe it like like it was like toad acid yeah i don't know Something. maybe i don't know he loved it I've, though <laughs> that's crazy i wasn't gonna I had, get in his way <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm never gonna try it, but no, me neither. Me neither. Dogs are <laughs> I'm not dumb. licking any toads. Yeah, I probably I kissed a lot of frogs though as a little girl. Were I they... thought that whole prince thing was true for a minute. Yeah, I mean, you could just pretend. I mean, that's cool. Frogs are cool. Yeah, <laughs> like... frogs are cool. I had I had pet toads growing up. Like we'd 
you know, get them in the summer and then we keep them over the winter and feed them and do all the fun stuff with them. We had photo shoots with them and then we'd yeah. let them go in the spring. I had pet tiger salamanders. Those um, things are crazy. We have them here too. It blows me away how they can find these desert pools as well. Cause they have to travel over some serious distance. Yeah. It's amazing. I wonder how much ground they can cover in a day. That is a good question. I should put this in the show notes because I also want to know that. And the only reason that I'm geeking out this hard is that several fans have told me that they like to hear about it. So to all the people that are rolling their eyes, <laughs> yeah. I apologize, but trust us, reptiles and amphibians are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I had African clawed frogs and one like jumped out of its water tank. They live underwater. And we thought the dog ate it. And then when we were getting new carpet in the house, we had to move the entertainment center. And well, there he was all shriveled up. No. Yeah. So I had an albino one left. My buddy spent a bunch of money on iguanas and then they got eaten by his dogs the next day. <gasps> oh, I, I, <laughs> I paraphrase that story intense, but I laughed so hard because he was so pumped for those iguanas. And then he's like, my pit bulls ate them and i was like those are the most expensive <laughs> dog treats ever <laughs> like i went were they expensive do they I were mean, like 300 bucks a piece yeah what yeah. Like population of iguanas all over the the world and they're considered an, an invasive species yes in yes so like he okay whatever <laughs> the, the herpetologist that are my work he sent us a link to this article about this guy in Florida, there was like a super cold event and it caused all the iguanas to get really slow from the cold. And this dude was going around picking up all the iguanas and putting them in his car and so he could take them home and eat them. And on the drive home, since he had the heater on in his car, it warmed up all the iguanas and he like came to life in his car and like went berserk inside his car. <laughs> and he like pulled over on the interstate and opened his door and all these iguanas took off running. Dude, no, you have you seen those farmers commercials where it's like crazy, like one in a million accidents that happen, like bear gun to the car or like just weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's he's like, we covered it. Yeah. That he would be like, it'd be like a an, an iguana invasion. <laughs> iguana and, swarm. Like, yeah. We covered it. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, man. oh, why did you crash into the into the guardrail? Uh, 20 iguanas got out of their Rubbermaid tub and started attacking me. <laughs> he just had them stacked, like, like he just had them stacked up in the back because they're frozen, basically. So they, he just had them all piled up in the back yeah. seat and they all came to life. But anyway, yeah. yeah. I'll tell you, right, I'm still on cloud nine from today. I got those dogs out today and walked across the prairie. I was hunting on a big, big old chunk of public land, some public prairie. So I was on foot and, uh, Man, I, I love my hound book. I, I've been keeping all my notes. I'm a huge, um, I'm a huge note taker, dorky, dorky science dude. And so the hound, the hound log has been a, like a blessing. I, I was using an Excel file beforehand and the writing it down to me is just so much better. And, you know, Bard's book has a lot more ideas in it that I really like the hound log does. And, uh, I, I've been writing. So it's, I, I get home, I'm so pumped to write down everything that happened, but you know, one thing that annoys me is that I let my hounds out to kind of free cast and look around for hairs, but my female, she gets like really excited and runs like too far away from me. And today I knew it was going to happen, but I was like, I'm just going to see how she does. 
and she like got about 80 yards away from me. She's got a great nose on her. And I saw her put that nose down and I was like, dang it. And then boom, my hair got like, up right by her. Like a oh, yeah. Moment. And so the hair got so up right beside up her. her at that point. What's up? You can't keep up with her because at that point, because they're so far away. Oh, you couldn't keep up with them even if the rabbit got up oh, eight yeah. inches away from you. Like <laughs> they're oh, gone. Okay. So then why is it so bad if she's like 80 yards away then? Because my pup, well, my, luckily my pup was with her. What sucks is that my male, her brother, he is like glued to me and he hunts right mm -hmm. beside me. So he hunts within like a five foot orbit of me. And that's what you want because you want oh, okay. the pack to start the race together. And okay. so what happened was, is the hair you gets need up. To explain yeah. So like my, <laughs> the brother, her brother Pronto is right next to me. Calypso, she runs off looking for hairs. I'm trying to reel her in, but uh, normally I have her on what's called a slip lead, which is like a, a, a leash that goes through her collar. And then I hold both ends of the leash. One side is connected to my wrist through a loop and the other side I'm just holding on to. And so when a hair oh. gets up, I just let go. Let go. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty nasty. Could never do that with a coon hound. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Over that, you would never want to. You know what I mean? But. Yeah. No. Anyway, that's, so. That's, oh, go that's ahead. That's a pretty sweet. I, no, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking like that's really smart. That's a, that's like super old technique that's been around for thousands and thousands like, of years. A slip lead to me is like the kind where the the leash loops on itself to like make its own collar mm -hmm. and then it slips and you can you know pull and it gets tighter and stuff yeah so like That's uh i normally have her on slip and then i was like i'm just gonna let her run around see how she does well man that was stupid and so she got the rabbit up like 80 yards away pronto didn't even see her get the rabbit up i tried to point it out to him but i mean Calypso can run zero to 40 in 1.6 seconds. So she was completely out of sight in like four seconds for him. He couldn't see her. Mm -hmm. And uh, the pup and her took off after the hair. And I was like, dang it. You know, like catching a hair by yourself is really tough. But I was watching through the binoculars. And then she was, I mean, Calypso really has a great technique. She was staying right tight on the hair. She puts a lot of real high speed pressure early on the hair. But what I love about her is that she has incredible agility. And so she can really get a hair flustered quick and get it confused off its game plan and then inevitably off its game. And so she was crushing him early and I was like, whoa, holy moly, she's actually doing good. And then the pup was right there with her and he got to see the rabbit and he, she turned the hair right into Strider and he got on it and helped her stay sided because the grass is like knee high. And then she started breaking him down and I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to catch him. And so I'm literally like trying to hold my binoculars, but I'm jumping up and down because I'm so excited. And I'm like, <laughs> I thought oh, you're, you're running in your sandals. Yeah, no, I wasn't running. I was trying to stand still so I could see the race, but they were over a mile away. And so oh I have gosh. some 15X binoculars up. And so like, I'm like, it doesn't matter that I'm cheering. She's not going to hear me, but like <laughs> I'm, I'm cheering to her. I'm like, come on, girl, come on, come on. And she, she finally gets, when a hair is about to get smoked, they start turning rapidly in all directions trying to wear the dogs down too but her agility is way too good and she just tackled him and i i don't want to say i cheered like a schoolgirl, but like i could have led a varsity cheer team right there 
And I just <laughs> took off running in their direction to try to get up to them because I was so excited. Yeah. <laughs> a so, high-pitched Seth holler. It was pretty intense. I'm glad I was alone out there. Let's just say that. <laughs> hey, don't be ashamed. No, it's I'm okay. not. I'm not. Maybe I should share the clip I sent you guys. Maybe I should share that clip on the group page. <laughs> Of you cheering? Oh man, remember that clip I sent you guys on on the first when when they caught their first hair of the season? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I was pretty exuberant, everybody. Let's just say that it was pretty intense. <laughs> I know the feeling. It's do you not... remember? Do you remember the first time your dogs just blew you away and you were so pumped? Like, describe it. Um. Let's see the I remember cedar like very clearly because that just happened like a couple weeks ago um I guess I could tell that story it's long though um with Piper like she turned a year old last well not what is it last I don't know she's almost she's gonna be three so it was two years ago then um I remember taking her out like in October sometime and she ran a track backwards and then kind of came forwards and finally treed the thing. And I'm like, eh, like we were standing right there. We knew it was there. So it's, we kind of walked her into it by the end of it. But then it was like December, January, but there wasn't snow on the ground. And I took her out to like my little pup training spot and she went probably like 400 yards. And I, I was like way back in another woods there's a woods and then there's a field and then there's another woods and I was just shining around and I saw an eyeball and I just stood there like four or five hundred yards away I'm like I wonder if she's gonna find this sucker and there's no leaves on the trees and it was it was a nice December night um and I just waited and I watched her work the field edge she moved from when I saw this coon she was in the other woods behind me and I just waited and she worked and worked and worked and went across the field then worked the field ledge and then worked in that woods where the coon was and then she finally treed and I was like so excited because oh, it's man. the first time I'm like, grinning just thinking about it <laughs> like worked her own coon it was like a really good track it wasn't a hot track it was like you could tell it was just like really good nose work and I was super excited and it was, you know, in season so I could shoot it down to her and I did and it was just awesome. That's so that so was really bad. cool. <laughs> uh, I remember the first time my dog Maggie treed and like I was with my mentor Eric and that was super cool because I don't know. Yeah. It, it took a lot for that too but cedar is the one right now that just has been showing me like the most awesome stuff and making me super happy i mean piper made me really happy this bear season too she turned into like a really good cold nose what we call a start dog and she treated a bunch of bear on her own too mm, um that's awesome so <laughs> it was like it's cool to to see what kind of dogs are turning what kind of dogs your dogs turn out to be and how they fit into your pack Definitely. and where you can put those puzzle pieces together to like form like the the perfect way to hunt or whatever I don't know yeah like a good winning recipe yeah totally yes that's totally what it is you know you're talking about your mentor 
tell me how you met your mentor. Cause my mentor literally changed my life. Like, I don't even know how else to describe it. So tell, tell me about it. Yeah. Well, I've got a, I mean, he was like the one in the beginning. Um, we don't keep up so much anymore. Um, he's busy with his kids and hockey and all that. Um, but so when I started, you know, I had this dog from the pound, Maggie, and I wanted to start hunting and reached out to a local club, but it took them a year to get back to me and finally did. And I got invited to this club and I pull in, in my mom's pickup truck and I didn't know anyone, but one person there that I had just chatted with online. And it was like the secretary that invited me there. Um, so I step out and there's like three or four guys leaning against the truck next to me talking. And when I don't know people, I will just like go up to people and be like, hi, I'm Lauren. Dude, I'm the same way. Um, <laughs> it has served yeah. me well. So, and like, if people are really sucky at introductions too, I will just be like, hey, I'm Lauren. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you just <laughs> suck yeah, at introductions. Yeah. So here we go. Um, and it was Eric and then two older guys. And that's how I met Eric. Eric's, he's like my age. Um, married with a kid and he lived in Fort Atkinson, which was, I was actually living at my parents' house at the time. I was between homes that I'd bought and sold. So that was like 30 minutes from my parents' house. So mm -hmm. meet him. We're going over to like, look at the water race, which was going on. And he was like telling me all about this and using terms that I didn't even understand at the time. There's, you know, the, the terminology that we use. Yeah. It, I didn't want to cut you off, it. but yes, it took me a while, but I love jargon. So I was like, I soaked it all up. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I asked a lot of questions. Me too. <laughs> and so he's showing me, he's showing me the water race. And in the meantime, like out of my court, the corner of my eye, I see a dog like heading towards the water race start box. And I like nudged him. I'm like, that's a really good looking dog. And he's like, that's your dog. And I'm like, what? <laughs> And Max, my like really, really good friend and really good mentor now, he took my dog to put it in the water race and see how she would do it. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's awesome. how it all got started. And he just was like, okay, well, here's my number. If you want to ever hunt, let me know. And later he told me he never expected me to call or text or whatever. And I did probably like a couple days later. And he took me out hunting for I don't know at least 10 times probably more um and really helped me start Maggie he was there um one of the first hunts that I put Maggie in like a UKC hunt mm -hmm. he was in the same cast so very thankful to him to like give me the the chance and the opportunity to learn from him in the beginning did, did you find it hard to get into the community in general? Like, I don't mean due to like people being reclusive. I just mean like, how did you find the other coon hunters? I mean, how long did it take you to find other people? Cause you know, coon hunting has the benefit I feel of, of having a huge community that is like, it's although weirdly yeah, unknown, but, but, it's also very yeah. well known. Yeah. But we're all really weird. Um, no, that's just dog people in general. <laughs> well, that's true. Myself included. Um, and I and I think a lot of people see you as competition, 
or hmm. it's just this like weird girl coming into this and like her family hasn't been doing it forever like she came out of this like from nowhere so you just I felt like I got like weird looks in the beginning hmm. um so like as far as then you know I decided hey I'm gonna do this so if I'm gonna do it then I'm gonna actually do it um then you you start talking to people and you kind of have to be outgoing and be willing to talk to people and be like hey like we should hunt sometime and not just say it but like follow up and do it yeah yeah and that's that's how it all kind of clicked together for me and i went down to autumn oaks that year two months after i had started this whole thing whoa and I, I only knew, I wasn't friends with people, but I like knew a couple people and I just like crashed their campsite <laughs> and that then we like became good friends Yeah, and you just kind of have to like force yourself into the community. That's you know, like kind of how I felt. It's funny too. Cause it's like, accept me or not. <laughs> I, I, I did the same in a way, but you know, it's so funny. I didn't know anything about coursing and, you know, I talked about it briefly in my podcast, but I had ran the, like the one I, I don't know, I don't want to say debuted in, but like the one I was on and I kind of coursed at night with my bird dog mix. And then my brother was like, we should get some greyhounds. And I was like, that sounds great. But the part I left out was it took me many, many, many months to find a greyhound. Like I've never even seen a greyhound you know and so and all i knew was greyhounds and i didn't know anything about salukis or mm. anything and so the only place i could look was greyhound rescues and they were all old dogs or like older dogs that you know and and they even say on a lot of their adoption forms they can never be used for hunting which i find strange because that's what they do and so i think they're going to run away and then never come back i guess i mean i guess and and so that, that is one like, culture I wish I could like, that, that's one community I really wish I could sit down with now and just have like a really frank and honest discussion about how these dogs are born to hunt. That's what they love. You know what I mean? And yes, it, it I, I agree. I, I want them to go to a great home, but I think there's a misconception in the rescue community that hunters take terrible care of their dogs. And I mean, my dogs are all asleep on the couch right now, you know, and it doesn't even, yeah. that doesn't even mean that's not even the mark of a good owner. Like, my mentor's dogs are all outside dogs, but they're in wonderful, comfortable housing and they have huge runs like, and he lets them out and plays with them all the time. Like, I mean, anyway, so finally I called this Greyhound Rescue in Lubbock and they were like, well, we don't give our dogs to hunters, but I do know a hunter who uh, I know really well and maybe you can give him a call. And so I was like, oh, okay. So I called him out of the blue and that just started my entire world in the sighthounds that was him yeah that was dean bohannon in lubbock okay. and uh he uh he's like i was like yeah you know i was really polite and whatever and i was like hey do you have any litters on the ground and he's like yeah we just had one like three weeks ago um he's like i don't sell puppies to people i haven't met so um let's get to know each other and i want to talk to you before i ever say yes to you and i was like sure so we built a relationship and uh before you know it he's like yeah why don't you come down and pick out two you want i have eight here and i got in my car with my brother and we hauled booty down to Lubbock and I picked out Pronto and Calypso and possibly some of the best choosing I've made in my life, except my wife. She's right behind me. I got to make sure I said that. (laughs) Good, good save. Good save. (laughs) But anyway, um, yeah, but, and then 
like it took me months to find them. And then now what, you know, I didn't even know I had no clue to, Hey, you should find a mentor. Like that didn't even dawn on me. I was like, Oh, I'll just figure it out. You know, typical 20, 25 year old or whatever. I was like, Oh yeah, I'll figure it out. I'll raise these dogs, you know? And so I went on with my life and, and then we were at a batteries plus store, which is just like a battery store. Like this is like two weeks after I got Pronto Eclipso. And my wife saw who is now my mentor's dog rig at batteries plus with all his hounds in it. And I was like, Whoa, I'm going to run in here. Like, like, and what town is this in Las Cruces where I live? Oh, what? I know. I know. And so it's a real small world. So Dean told me to kind of keep my eye out for, for this guy. And I was like, okay, but it's a town of a hundred thousand. Like, well, okay. Anyway. And so like, I'm like you, man, I'll talk to anybody from like the king of the world to some random crackhead on the street. I just want to hear people's story. And so like, I was like, I'm going to find this guy. So I like ran inside and, and there he was. And I, and I was like, are those your dogs? He was the only dude in the store. So he had to be him. I was like, are those your, your long dogs out there? And he's like, yeah, how'd you know that? And I was like, oh yeah. Anyway, long story short, meeting him changed my life. I've never met someone that I just like, he's my first friend that I've met as an adult. That's not like a childhood friend that I've had for years and years. He's like one of my closest friends. And I love hanging out with him. He's taught me so much. Like there's just nothing experience. There's nothing that can beat experience. And he's so like frank and humble and willing to help me. And his dogs are amazing. And he's taught me a lot about not just running dogs, but just like life lessons. I know that sounds really weird and corny, but it's true. Like he has a well, totally different- all the wisdom. They've had all the experiences. Yeah. I mean, and like so willing to just help me out and impart his knowledge upon me and just be a great friend. Like we hunt together every weekend and I just genuinely love hanging out with him. Shout out to you, Justin, man. You're the best. Like I just couldn't, I can't even imagine hunting without having a friend out there with you to share. And, and we're both just total sighthound geeks. We both just cheer and holler to the dogs. It is so fun. And, and so, uh, yeah, I just, to, to anyone that's getting started out there, the beginners that are listening, I, I get a lot of messages from beginners and they're just like, you know, who, who do I talk to? Who do I get started? The best advice I can give you is get on Facebook dog groups and just watch and see the old timers out there that are active and chatting. The, the getting on those Facebook groups helped me really expand my base and meet a lot of new people. Yeah. And just talk to people and then yes. you're, you figure out who are the good ones and who are the not and who's so in your ones. area. And, right. Yeah. And, and if I don't. You, oh, go ahead. go ahead. No, it's fine. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, like, even if they're not in your immediate town, go talk to them if they're willing, and then they will probably help you find other people closer to you. There's a lot more houndsmen out there than you think. I helped a girl on Facebook um, in New York by, by Niagara Falls, New York. Yeah. I helped her That's connect awesome. with some people. Like, yeah, you can, you can connect all over the country. You know, if you've got to drive an hour, if you've got to drive two hours then do it, you know, you've, Definitely. you've just got to get the guts to do it. And I don't, I don't think I ever would have gotten started in this in trying hunting out if that one secretary wouldn't have messaged me back. It took the club a year to message me back because they had different, um, officers and stuff before the that one girl took over and they were super weary because I was like from the city and stuff like that 
Um, but if Amanda would have never messaged me, I wouldn't be here now. Um, and you know, if, if I hadn't met Max, my, uh, old man mentor, I wouldn't have the dogs I have now. All three of them are from him. Um, and honestly, like the whole bear hunting thing, like my ex-boyfriend, if I wouldn't have gone and done that, I wouldn't have been here where I am now. Just it's amazing. Like, the interconnected web addicted to bear hunting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it goes to show you that community really is everything. And, and yeah. I mean, that's something we really strive here at HXP to build. And I mean, I mean this to the fans, like reach out if you're new and you, you have any questions, a hundred percent me, Lauren and Chris would love to help you out in any way we can. There's a, a, a mentorship a, a announcement on the Houndsman XP podcast group. Check it out. And, uh, and don't be afraid to message us uh, and, and link on that uh, mentorship that there's, that's a good way to get started and, and use the podcast mm -hmm. group to help ask questions, post there. And there are so many awesome fans yeah, that are very active and helping. What are you Say looking to get out of this people? Mm. I said, tell us, uh, yeah, comment, tell us your story, who you are. What are you looking to get out of this? On Definitely. The group? That's the thing. I mean, I just, you know, when I talk to big game hunters that either have a negative or neutral view on hound hunting, I think the first thing I try to impart is that, I mean, I've been big game hunting my basically my entire life. And the one thing that I think hound hunting has, I found the most appealing is the intense sense of community because we're a small group. But also when you're hound hunting, you don't have to be all sneaky and you can, you, you can just, it's a more, to me, it's a more communal and social way to, to hunt. And oh, totally. also the bonds with the dogs, you know, those are the best hunting buddies in the world. And, and mm -hmm. that's just something that when you're stalking or, or sitting in a stand or whatever, it's a different kind. I feel more like a ninja and less like I'm out. I don't know. It just feels more communal. It, it's yeah. I, all the hound hunters here it, understand what I'm talking about. It's a, it's I a think, great day out with your buddies. You guys are all hanging out, talking and chatting and boom, a rabbit gets up and now you guys are cheering like a bunch of like 16 year old girls. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, coon hunting, you can do that in groups and you're, you know, at the clubhouse, if you do the UKC or PKC stuff, um, you know, waiting in between our hunts or at the end and you're getting breakfast at two in the morning, um, bear hunting, we're always, there's always downtime, you know, the baits aren't hit and you're decided to crack open a beer or what, what have you. Um, and I don't know, I just think it's, I think it's really cool. And this kind of goes not quite with the community thing but you talk about big game hunting versus hound hunting it's not just you bettering yourself like as a handler and everything like that because you get better every day you know as much as you do this as a handler but your dogs get better too and it's mm -hmm. it's cool just to see that come together and not just you becoming a better hunter and that's it that's true you know and, and, and what i love is the communal partnership between man and animal, their strengths and my strengths together to try to make this team to succeed. Because as much as I like to think hound hunt or sight hounds are the, they are the most um, primitive form of hunting with hounds. They, they kind of are this like complete package. Of, well, they of look like, like dinosaurs. Yeah, I mean, they're like <laughs> very ancient and they, they do, you know, a small amount of scenting for their prey, but they, they find the prey 
flush the prey, pursue the prey, kill the prey, and then retrieve the prey all on their own. But at the same time, they are a very specialist tool and they really do need your help to get to the place that you need to hunt. They need your help to make good choices on what to chase and when to chase. And I just love it all, man. I can sit down and talk with my buddy, Justin, my mentor. I can just sit down and talk with him for hours about, you know, breedings and, and, and great races we've had together and, and tuning up our rigs and just, it's just so great. Like, I feel yeah. like nobody else, but people who hunt dogs or specifically scent hounds, sight hounds understand us. <laughs> That's what we're trying to fix here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think, but I think it's like obviously so the gun, the, the, the big game hunters, the rifle hunters, I can do the same. I can sit down and talk, you know, elk hunting, barbary hunting, javelina hunting, mule deer hunting sure. in the desert. I can talk about that for hours too, but I just don't have that same fire. I feel like the substance, although it is there, I just feel, I, I, I don't know. It's just obviously a little bit of a bias, but at the same time, I, I mean, I love it all. And, and yeah. my favorite thing to do as a houndsman is to sit down with big game hunters and just be like, why don't you come out and watch my dogs run? And I love to see the looks on their faces when a my dogs blast off the line and they're like holy smokes those dogs are insanely fast and b when they're like this is really really fun and they're like i never thought of hound hunting as something that would be this fun yeah and i'm like yeah i mean that's why i want to take some more people bear hunting like nobody came up to visit me when i was bear hunting i invited a couple people and um they didn't but i'm like it is so fun Never mind my driving, you'll be fine. But <laughs> and I think bear hunting even is like even better to bring people because bears have this like fortunate slash unfortunate thing of being a charismatic megafauna. So so yeah. like they're this super I charismatic mean, animal. When it happens, yeah, it's like the most awesome thing to be a part of and probably like maybe better than coon hunting as far as like a wow factor. But there is so much downtime um in between it all that if what I learned is like when I first went bear hunting I didn't have any dogs out it was when I was with my ex-boyfriend and I would like sleep in the in the back of the truck because I wasn't invested in going to check baits or looking for tracks or anything like that so like when you don't have skin in the game you don't have a dog out there and you don't understand everything that goes into it you're not it's just not as exciting but when the whole bear thing is finally happening you're like walking into a tree yeah that's the cool part you know i worked with a mountain lion trapper get someone excited there and then like that flips the switch (laughs) yeah yeah like seeing a bear i'm I'm getting excited just thinking about it i i worked with a mountain lion crew and, uh, and the first time I walked into a mountain lion where they're like, okay, like the trap's been tripped. What blew me away was that mountain lion was on a three foot lead and I couldn't see him. Like, I was just like, where oh. is it? It's hidden somewhere, but it's, it is in this, it is trapped. Like it is here, but I can't see it. And my heart was pounding so much. I could hear it. And it was like in my throat. And the, oh, yeah. the biologist was like, it's in the trap. And he, and he knew where it was, but I didn't because I didn't know how to see them. Like, it's hard to explain. But once you train your eye on how to see something, all my big game hunters listening, you guys can explain big mountain Western hunters when you're glassing constantly until you see that first deer or that first sheep. It's hard to see them. 
and <clears throat> excuse me, that's how it was. And uh, anyway, finally, I just heard it like run, like that, like that, like deep kind of like growl. And I was like, oh, anyway, so I, I can imagine it's so much more fun when you have your dogs there. And obviously, you know, it's there. <laughs> that's that's yeah. a great part. The suspense was killing me. Yeah. And it's like, to me, like seeing the bear is cool. Like, it's really cool. And it's cool to get the pictures. But like, what I really like is seeing everything that led up to that. That's like where I get my kicks sure. from the bait or from the, the, the rig to, you know, where they caught the bear or where it went up a tree or where, whatever. Um, because like, okay, once the thing's treed, like, yeah, the work's still there. They have to hold pressure. They got to keep the bear there. But most of the work was way behind there. I've and learned so much about bear hunting just from this show, just listening to the podcast. Mm -hmm. And the, I've only known mountain lion hunters here. And I've never really known a lot of bear hunting because dry ground mountain lion hunting is like kind of the holy grail. And it's really popular here in New Mexico. And uh, just the different style of dog you need to be a successful bear hunter, I find is really interesting. And yeah, I mean, we're, yeah, I want to go on one really bad. That sounds so fun. We're, we're going to see how... Uh, Piper turns out next year, you know, I posted on Facebook, I was kind of trying to plan ahead and see how I can harvest a bear before I get a Wisconsin tag and have Piper be there. Um, I'm going to be going to New Mexico. You're going to love it. Yeah. So I'm super excited about it and um, we'll see. So that'll be like my plan next year is start actually in um, Colorado with a friend who does, um, depredation nice. work, start there in July, then be there for like a week or two or something, and then move back to Wisconsin, finish out the training season in Wisconsin, and then kill season in Wisconsin will start kind of right away because the bait sitters are going first this year, which mm -hmm. is why I'm like, having to wait and I'm getting super depressed and <laughs> the dogs are going nuts. Yeah. Um, and then like late October, November, go down to New Mexico. That's yeah. just the plan. I mean, this is all like hopes and dreams right now. So. You should turn your coon hounds loose on the prairie to get some rabbits up for the dogs. They don't even have to know what a jackrabbit is. Just having them running around will help. Oh yeah, for sure. And their paws need to get um, toughened up out there. I think the first thing you're going to be blown away by is that how much public land we have. Like, yeah, when you were on the Navajo nation, that, that is, you know, it's pub, it's open to them, but you have to have access or know a tribal member to be out there. But like where I was hunting today is a 1.1 million acre stretch of a combination of like prairie lowlands and like, like craggly mountains that are full of like mule deer and, and, um, sheep like wild sheep and and there's even the uh the persian ibex are in one mountain range in there but i mean that's just one tiny fraction and the gila is just i can take you i'll take you to a great spot where we'll put your dogs on the ground last time i was going to go stalking there this year for bears um but my schedule has been crazy with work and because of covid and stuff but uh i found a fresh bear track that was put down like an hour ago and i don't i found it in like five minutes like there's so many bears in this area. Do people hunt around there? Your, huh? Do people hunt with dogs around there? No, no. Oh. The, the Gila is so huge. Why? 
there's no oh, hunting pressure you can't get, probably because you can't get trucks around in there um you can get a truck within a, um like 700 yards of where i saw those tracks oh okay yeah and, and like the thing is the gila is like four million acres and that's just one of like the 10 national forests there and so yeah there's a lot of bear hunting in the gila but when i say a lot of bear hunting i mean like you could go your entire season and never see another houndsman easy hmm. yeah and so i've never even like heard of people releasing dogs in this area and my buddy works there that's his station and he's like i almost never hear hounds so yeah I, it's, maybe it's just an access thing because it's so big that there's not enough trails to get into where you need to follow the dogs yeah it's a lot of on footwork especially in the wilderness obviously there's no cars allowed but I don't think a lot of people really go deep in the wilderness. I don't know. I'm not yeah, a bear so hunter. Like, you know, if your dogs are going, you know, chasing a bear 18 miles or whatever, yeah, no, I'm man. not going to cover that. On, like, no. You know, I really dork out on the physiology of my it's dogs. Not, no. <laughs> you're going to lose reception you're not going to know. What's up? Are you there? Yeah, yeah. You broke up for a little bit there. You were saying something? Oh, okay. No, go ahead. The physiology of your dogs. Oh, no. I was just saying like, I always dork out on their physiology, but the the ability to run like 18 miles straight after a bear is remarkable on the dogs and the bears aspect. I mean, it's rare, I think, but it can happen. Sure. Um, sure. Sure. I think, I think the longest race that I had was probably like 10 miles this summer. Um, That's still a long way. But it's crazy. Like, the the different territory that I hunted in, like when I was super way up north in Wisconsin versus to kind of where I'm hunting now, like I thought it was hard when I was like up north and now three hours away from me, I'm like, I had no idea how easy it was. And this is hard now. Like mm. this is like crazy swamp. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. It's ho like, but it's like the a most amazing hunting but it's just like a totally different to like like guaranteed mile walk into the tree most you know, times how long did that 10 mile race take you and did you guys tree the bear or did you guys get outrun i don't even remember it was early early in the season the dogs went a total of 10 miles and that's not like 10 mile straight line you oh know, they sure do all the they're all over the place like yeah um I, I think one of Piper's longest runs, she was actually alone most of the time. And I ended up catching her in a beaver pond. So no, huh. that bear did not caught. That's crazy. Well, beaver pond area. I didn't like walk into like a, an actual pond to get her, but it was like the zone of where the beavers had dammed up a lot of stuff and it was gross and swampy and thick and mosquito-y and Ooh. tall grass up to my head. Wow. <laughs> Are, do you guys have a lot of beavers in your area? Um, not where I live now, but um, like everywhere else as you go further north. I mean, people, towns pay for nuisance trapping. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that do trap them um, and try and take care of them because they cause so much damage. Yeah, so they're amazing damage. little animals. I mean, oh, they're super destructive yeah. and annoying, but they're a rat that can chew a tree down. Like, yeah, that's I know really intense. I've seen trees like when I've been kayaking and stuff like that, even around here that are like beaver trees. And I'm like, where did, what? Like that tree's freaking huge. Like why would it, okay, whatever. And then I never find like an actual dam or a beaver 
um what was a beaver hut at, what is it called? a uh, beaver lodge lodge there we go that's what i was looking for it's always they're incredible muskrats lots of muskrats oh yeah they're so nasty but they're really fun to hunt matter of fact one of the first things i ever had my pointer do was fetch muskrats off the rio grande that we were shooting with spotlights oh sweet yeah it was really fun we've got a muskrat problem on my parents lake they're not too common here i don't know they're just there's just not enough wetland habitat to really let their populations get huge you know yeah there's like the rio grande and that's it and it's it's not productive enough (laughs) yeah but um yeah the um the beavers are like rebounding in New Mexico. And the first time I saw a beaver lodge and a beaver dam, it was huge. Like it was like five, six feet tall. I couldn't see over it. And so it was must way taller than five feet. I'm six one. So like, anyway, we were shocking, like using an electro fishing shock shocker. So it stuns the fish and you just pick them up in nets. We were um, doing um, Rio Grande chub. And so we were collecting Rio Grande chub for DNA analysis. And I remember like the guys I was working with were like, if you shock a beaver, they get pretty aggressive. And I was like, nah, like you guys are messing with me. You're messing with me. And so I remember we were shocking along and I was right behind to like back right of the shocker. And like we were on a V pattern with the shockman in the front. And we like hit this beaver dam and I was like, whoa, like this beaver dam is huge. And uh, this is in Northern New Mexico. And he kind of looked at me and he looked at my other netter and he was like beaver dam and i was like go go like this is no nothing serious just go and so we climb up on this beaver dam and start coming down the other side first thing that blew me away beaver like ponds are way deeper than i thought they were going to be and so i'm wearing waders so i don't get electrocuted and the water is just rising up my waders and it's about up to my nipples and i'm like this water's super deep and we can't have <laughs> the water spill over our waders so that we don't get shocked so we stop there right. Yeah. And we start walking along. We have to turn the voltage up on our shocker really high because it's a huge body of water. And my shockman hits the shocker and you just see bubbles come up on the other side of the pond. And I was like, oh, and then he's like, there he is. There he is. And the beaver like came out of the water. It like slapped the tail with its water, slapped the water with its tail and then like came up out of the water. And because it got, it was getting shocked, not intentionally. It just was because they're big. They have more surface area. So the shock affects them more than the little tiny fish. And so like it came out of the water and I was like, oh, oh, there it is. And then it just like came in the water and started swimming right at us at like full speed. And I'm going to be real with you right now. Like I dropped my net and just ran away. <laughs> you know I, what? Done I was just like, no. like ah. oh, dude, I was. And like, you know how you run in super slow motion in the water? And so like, I'm just like, I'm out. I don't even know. <laughs> just you always imagine yourself as some like badass safari hunter. You're going to stand your ground and like beat him down with your net. Hell no. I just dropped my net and ran for it. I got bit by a field mouse once and that was bad enough. I don't want to get bit by beaver teeth. That thing went like that thing went in my eyes from being like a beaver to a German shepherd underwater. And kudos to my shockman. He like held the shock down full steam and then just like bashed the beaver underwater with the shock pole and hit it directly with 1,200 volts, like straight to the beaver's head. And it was just like, yeah, and swam away and left. And I got up to the top of the beaver dam. I was panting because I was running like in the water. I got to the top. They're laughing at me. I didn't care. And then I was like, oh, dude, there's water on the inside of my waders. If you catch my drift, I was like, it's warm in my waders. (laughs) 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 That is so crazy. Uh, uh, Oh, my gosh. This is like like, 
I was holding this it. This wasn't I guess. for your job, right? <laughs> this wasn't for your job. This was like pleasure. No, no, this was for work. <laughs> this was for work. This is for okay. Work. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that that electrofishing unit is like ten thousand dollars, so it's definitely not, and it's not a legal form of fishing for the public. But yeah. Okay. So I think you'd be terrified if this was um, not an extinct animal. Um, do you ever remember like going to like the museum or say, something and seeing those prehistoric be beavers? Oh, yeah, so sure. there were prehistoric beavers, a giant beaver, um, an extinct genus of enormous bear-sized beavers that lived in North America during the Pleistocene. Oh, you're going to butcher this. Yeah. You probably know this. Yeah, the yep, Pleistocene. That. Um, and Castoroides. Yeah, so that means like huge beaver in Latin. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, literally bear-sized. It was like a meter tall. So in the Pleistocene in North America, long. there was like all kinds of insane wildlife. Like there was a rabbit that was like four times bigger than the current rabbits that are alive today like a huge hare and there was like giant burrowing owls that lived in cuba and they were like the size of like a um i'm trying to like get a good comparison like a small kangaroo like huge burrowing owls which is like super crazy and obviously like okay so bison 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 is the bison that's alive today there was a species of bison called bison latifrons which was the longhorn bison, it's like four times bigger than a normal bison. And then bison antiquus as well was like twice as big as the modern day bison. So, okay, so it's like mammoth sized. Um, not quite. Pretty bison latifrons was like probably the size of like, um, probably as tall as like a shire horse, like an Australian shire horse, yeah. but like five times heavier. Four Yum. times heavier. Yeah, they were like 10,000 pounds. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> yeah. And they had like 12 foot horns. They're like humongous animals. I was, I'm so fascinated with the Pleistocene because that's when people lived too. There was people here when all those crazy animals were here. And like, like, yeah, we like conquered them so with crazy. sticks. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Man. The short faced bear is the largest land mammal carnivore that has ever lived. And it's short faced this, bear. Yeah. It's a giant bear and it was more adapted to running than it was like digging or climbing like modern bears. And mm -hmm. it had like semi-retractable claws and it was a hyper carnivorous bear. So it did not eat majority vegetation like modern bears. And Google what they look like. Their I'm, skeleton. I'm on Google right now. They, they were twice as big as a polar bear, which is like unfathomably huge. There, we have a skull yeah. at New Mexico State University of a short-faced bear, which is the first time I'd ever like heard of one and seen one. And when I saw its skull, it literally just gave me shivers down my spine. Like it, it, the skull was like as big around as my arm span. And it's like three and a half feet long. It is so I crazy. I don't care what kind of dogs I would have. Oh. I'm like, if that thing was around now, that'd be a nope. Oh my gosh. And I so like, I wouldn't turn my dogs loose on that thing. Holy moly. We were alive at the same time those things were. So yeah. we definitely have encounters with them in the past. Which is man, I need to learn more about this. I feel like I was not taught about the Pleistocene. It's such a crazy time, and Seems everyone's really all cool. super up in arms about like how all the megafauna went extinct, and it's still like to this day kind of undecided, and it'll never be decided. I don't think because no one was there. But 
in my opinion, is a combination of human hunting and climate change, habitat destruction and modification, most likely, because all the small like stuff survived. You know, I don't think human overhunting did it all because snakes and turtles, giant beavers, like animals that humans like historically didn't go after in crazy amounts also went extinct. It's just hard to be huge. It's really resource intensive yeah. to be huge. So when the resources started getting slim, all the big guys went the way of the dodo. I mean, and you think about it too, like, okay, mountain lions are bigger the further north you go. Right. And that's because of resources. Well, and also like having a more dense body is like way more advantageous in the cold temperatures. So gigantothermy is like the, yeah. So when you, when you're huge, you, you retain heat better. Yeah, you got to get huge somehow, though. <laughs> Maybe I should just live in the Arctic and get huge. Like, if I want to live like Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> man, I should just go live up in like the Arctic Circle and just come back and just be like, you know, I'm back. <laughs> I just, cannot do accents. <laughs> but um, I can't do it either. <laughs> that was a feeble, um, the most feeble Arnold Schwarzenegger ever. <laughs> Someone can up our Arnold Schwarzenegger game. In the comments for this Canva that you put on the Facebook, I yeah. will make the banner of the Facebook group a display of their choosing if someone makes a video of them doing I'll be back Arnold Schwarzenegger and everyone like votes to see who has the best one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if anyone actually does that, I doubt anyone will, but um, that's going to be really cool. <laughs> this is officially the invitation, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your challenge. All right, ready, go. <laughs> Who's got All the right. best? I'll be back. So anyway, yeah. speaking of, so t- go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, please. No, I don't even know what I was going to talk about. I was going to ask about, <laughs> well, I, I don't was know. Gonna, I was going to go back to like when we were getting started and, and after like you'd gotten the ball rolling and kind of seeing like how other people did it. I kind of want to know like how much more different was it than you actually thought it was going to be? Because that, that was something that really blew me away is how unbelievably different my path went than what I thought it was going to be like. Okay, so not just the sport and how it was going to be, but like how I imagined me progressing. Or just like, yeah, in general, like was it was yeah. the sport different than you thought it was going to be? Was the experiences you had way different? Because it definitely was for me. Definitely. I don't know. I kind I don't don't think I had any expectations because I ha- I just didn't know anything about it. So I just took everything as it comes. But at first I thought I was going to be this, you know, serious competition coon hunter and, you know, travel around the country and, you know, earn all this money hunting my dogs, which <laughs> everybody knows yeah, that you right. really <laughs> spend more money than you earn. Um, and like, I just thought that that's how it was going to be. And I also was like, I'm never turning my dogs out where there's wolves. And like, I just had all these ideas of what I was going to do and what I was not going to do. And that totally changed. Mm -hmm. And it's because I tried new things and met new people. And, you know, I still like coon hunting and I, I'm still going to do competitions. Um, Piper's just really hard to hear um, in comp hunting. So that's kind of what's in COVID kind of stopped me from doing it this year too. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've got Ridge now and he's my next prospect, but 
just bear hunting just super sucked me in and I got addicted and you know the whole wolf thing I came to terms with it and I'm like you know I'm never going to have the experiences that I want to have and that my dogs need to have if I don't turn them loose Mm -hmm. and you're just you're never going to get anywhere if you don't take the chance and whether there's wolves up north or you know even if you're turning out loose coon hunting down here there's always a risk whatever risk it is you just have to take that chance yeah so i just kind of had to get over like the fear factor of it and just my own stubbornness of how i wanted things to go and just take the plunge and I never, I mean, since the beginning, now I'm not, I don't own a Jetta. I've got a truck and I've got the radio and I've got the dog box and I've got multiple dogs. I've had multiple dogs through all this. And, you know, did I ever think that I'd spent two months in my camper (laughs) in the Northwood hunting bear? No, but I have that opportunity now. And there's just been so many opportunities handed to me, especially because of this podcast that if if i don't take advantage of it i'm stupid you know yeah wow that's great i'm totally absorbing it you know the the biggest thing that was that blew me away was how much time i spent driving around a state i thought i knew and yeah that's true you know i me and my buddy me and my mentor justin we drove 14 hours in one day, drove 700 miles, Holy moly. and we never were more than uh, three hours from my home, but we drove 14 hours worth of country, Holy 700 cow. miles. And wow. yeah, and so you're going to see all of this, by the way, when you come and hunt with us, you're going to see all this country we found. Google the very large array, and we were near mm-hmm. that country a lot. I sent you guys some videos and pictures, but to all the listeners, Google the very large array. They've shot tons of movies there for like alien scenes. It's those giant, giant satellite dishes that are out on that big old beautiful yeah, prairie. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, um, the thing that blew me away too, that I thought was totally different is I never in a million years like would have expected how much money and time and also how much training it takes. You, you would think it's just as simple as, letting a collar go and a dog runs out there and catches a jackrabbit. But the biggest thing I've learned is it is super hard to catch a jackrabbit and your dogs really need to learn from experienced dogs. There's so much technique. And, and I just was not expecting that at all. And, you know, it's funny. I thought I could just like, I don't know, like just take good care of my dogs and exercise them a lot. And they would just be like really good at catching hairs. And I am just so blessed that I met Justin because that was couldn't be farther from the truth. It doesn't matter how good you take care of your dogs. It doesn't matter how much you pep them up. If, if they don't it's have the experience time. from older hounds, you're not going to succeed very often, or you're going to have a okay. super long learning curve. And by the time they figure it out, they're going to be too old to be real badasses out there. Yeah. And the thing I learned too is like, it's shockingly expensive to be a houndsman. Like, yeah, yeah. people told me that, and I'm like, nah. And now I'm like, ooh. Yeah, that's the punch. The expensive part? Yeah. 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 The time, like, I'll, 
we'll talk about the time in a little bit but yeah the expensive part of it and like you don't recoup those fees dude gas it's not, it's, they're not fees but yeah, yeah yeah no you're right it's like gas and vehicle work and dude i spent so much on just just my vehicle my rig i mean i bought a rig specifically so i could follow those dogs a ranger and i built that box that was not cheap and i built it too i didn't pay someone to build it and it was still crazy expensive oh, cool. yeah yeah me and my brother built that thing from the ground up oh but wow like um you know the box to haul your dogs the fence the food the vet bills the collars like i mean just everything adds up and holy moly it is super yeah. expensive and sight hounds yeah. are kind of high maintenance compared to other dogs and so they need even more specialized care and man yeah it just blew me away it just blew me away i mean i drive an hour no false minimum i drive 40 minutes to get to where i want to hunt and the maximum is three and a half hours that's just part of it your time spent too is something that just commuting to great prairie is super long and it's it's um i guess the biggest thing i didn't expect is i'm glad is, is how much it doesn't matter like i'm just so happy to be there and to i don't care that i have to drive three hours it's worth it every every second to me it's the it's the even the commute when i'm with justin it's so much more fun with my my wife comes out and courses with us all the time and it's just it's just oh great. it's way better to have a a buddy along for the ride oh sure when you got a 280 mile drive one on the radio yeah yeah so and and the the folks that are having to do those commutes alone i hope that the hounds on xp podcast keep you company <laughs> totally yeah <laughs> download it before you go just in case you don't have cell service definitely that's Pro what i always do right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but like the time and i really learned that this year like that you have to put in the time like i would never ever have bear dogs if i didn't do what i did this year there's no way. And if I was just a weekend warrior, that wouldn't have happened either. Like, yeah, that's pretty hardcore living in your camper that long though. <laughs> it was like, I would, I actually prefer it to living here in this house. Um, I just feel trapped where I am right now. I just, I, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I, I lived in a camper for a while, but it wasn't for such great times as hunting bears with my dogs. It was for work. So it wasn't as cool, yeah. but I know what you're saying. Right. It must, that must be so awesome. I wish I lived on the prairie. I, even if I could work remotely like you do, and then just go out and hunt. Little, oh. little Seth in the prairie. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very annoying book. Probably. Own, no, it's going to be a reality show. <laughs> little Seth on the prairie. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yep, it's only gonna be one season though. That's, that's as far as it's gonna go. Are you go. saying my my show would suck, dude? Yeah. <laughs> Dang, that hurts. <laughs> I've hosted three podcasts or whatever. <laughs> you know, anyway. I'm gonna rev you when I get the chance. <laughs> Got so, you, but yeah, like I really enjoyed living in the camper, and it's I just. I'm just going through some serious withdrawals. That's all I got to say. Dude, now welcome to my I whole think, summer, man. Yeah. I think unless like I get like some really, really good coon hunting in, winter is going to be really rough. Brutal. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. I, well, like I said, I when should, you swing I through... Go ahead. Um, 
I should just just pack up right now and head to New Mexico. Dude, I got five acres you can park your camper on. Yeah. No, I got stuff to do here, I think. I think. I don't know. You can work fully remotely right now in the COVID era, can't you? Um, Well, yeah, I've been working remote for the bank for, I've been there over eight years and I've been remote like at least five of it now. So stuff didn't change covid for me so as long as i've got like either wireless or hotspot connection i'm good gotcha gotcha yeah i can't nothing changed for me um yeah maybe except for your travel restriction um yeah obviously i can't i've been wanting to go to texas and hang out with scotty and and shoot some pigs but I can't even for work. I can't go to Texas at all. So I got to stay here, but that's okay. It's almost rat season. I can't wait. I was really hoping that you guys would come in October. I wanted to take you and Chris rat trapping. I promise you it's not as gross as you think. Desert rats I mean, are I can adorable. Just, I can just come for a weekend. <laughs> I mean, we trap during the weekday, but yeah, I mean, oh, okay. yeah, it's for work. It's for work. But like I could set up some traps for fun, but I want Chris to hold a kangaroo rat because they're amazing. They, they go their whole life without drinking a drop of water. As a matter of fact, they bite you. You have to wear like thick leather gloves. No, no, no. Kangaroo oh, okay. rats won't bite you. They're like harmless. And they're not, and they're not super ratty. So yeah. he wouldn't be scared of them. They, they, they look like little kangaroos. Yeah. Like little gerbils. Okay. They look okay. like gerbils. Yeah. And, and like, right. what's crazy is they're so desert adapted. They don't even have a swallowing reflex for water. So even if you offer them water, like in a cage, they won't even drink it. They just stand in it. Okay. Yeah. You've, you've mentioned that before, but like, if you have a swallowing reflex, I feel like you have it no matter what. So they have to swallow food. Right. right. I said for for water, like for water. Yeah, I know. But how is it not the same? Like they just don't know how to lap it up and drink it. Yeah. So like, that's the thing. Rodents lap, right? So they don't, if you, if you syringe water in their mouth, they'll aspirate it. Like they don't even try to drink it. Hmm. Yeah, they're I, incredible. Speaking of like syringing, uh, I had I have this chicken that Piper attacked, and I've been I stapled her up, and I've been doctoring her. And I took her to the vet today so I could get some antibiotics and stuff. And wait, 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 wait. Did you just say <laughs> you take a chicken to the vet? Yeah, I did. Oh my goodness, I you're a good person. Pulling it right away when she attacked it. Um, but I'm like, nah, I'm going to give it a chance. So I like cleaned the puncture wound up and the three inch gash in her, um, and stapled her up. And I thought I'd, (laughs) I thought I'd be stapling a dog before I'd be stapling a chicken back together. Yeah. Um, so, so I stapled her back together. She doesn't even have a name. That's how much, like, I, I guess I didn't care about my chickens. That's something my dad Uh, would do too, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, all that happened, but I still wanted to get her some medicine. So I had to syringe antibiotics and pain meds into her mouth today. And trying to get that chicken and open her beak and everything Ugh. was not fun. And I got to do that twice a day. So. I applaud the heck out of you for doing that. I think that really speaks to your character. I grew up in the country, like like in an agricultural community. And so no one would bat an eye to like get their dog fixed if they got really injured but cats and chickens kind of have this place in like the country folk ethos where you're just like 
well, he's a kitty. Like he'll get better well, soon. You know what I mean? And chickens yeah, too. You're I, like, I, I don't know. That's, that's, that's great of you. I, I, I like well, I said, I applaud it. Well, thanks. I originally, I thought like, oh, it's not, you know, I'll just call it like, there's no hope. But I think the reason I did what I did is because it was my fault that the dog was out when the chicken was out. So I think if it would have been like a, like a hawk situation or something else, gotcha. I would have just called it right away. And, you know, but I think I just felt bad because it was my fault. Did, did you ever try to train your dogs not to attack the chickens or you're just like, that's hopeless. No way. Um, I think it's kind of hopeless. Um, Brooke, actually, I've been talking to her who was in the last episode. She has trained her dogs on like the ducks and the chickens to leave them alone and stuff. Um, I just, I think it's hope for me. It's hopeless. I don't know if I could put the time in Mm -hmm. and everything to do it. Growing up, our bird dogs wouldn't attack the chickens, but we trained them from puppyhood. I I just don't know if I could get my sight hounds to leave them alone. I could definitely get some of them like, Pronto, he's totally uninterested in anything with feathers. I've had like baby quail run out in front of him, like two feet in front of him, and he just walks through him. He does not care at all. But I think his sister and my bird dog mix would just gobble him right up. When there's geese or sandhill crane or whatever in the field behind the barn, the dogs don't care at all. Hmm. So I don't know what the whole chicken thing is. It's maybe it's because they see him every day right in their little cage that's outside the coop. Like, like frustration. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Either way, I've got chickens. Just... Either way, I've got a chicken in my kitchen right now. <laughs> it, now do you have it <laughs> named? Is it named now? No, no. I've got to come up with a name. I feel like she's she's due a name at this point. Dude, it should be like Cluck Stapleton. I'll just call her Staples. There you go. <laughs> my Cluck name wasn't Stapleton. as good as I thought. <laughs> no. I think I'll just call staples so did you get any weird but looks yeah, when you brought a chicken into the vet no because he that vet act like most vets don't take chickens but this is like a country vet and he says like he sees like four to five chickens a week What? so and and, and i didn't walk in with the chicken because we still can't walk into the vet which i don't understand if we can walk into a restaurant why can't we go into the vet you know with the huh. whole COVID thing. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Whatever. So it's still quote unquote curbside service. You're waiting in your so car with a chicken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she rode, she stood up and she rode on the center console the whole way home. <laughs> like a beagle. That's pretty rad, actually. I, I knew Girls, a guy named Rooster, they, but it's not as cool as your chicken riding shotgun. I knew a guy named Trout. What? Yeah, his name's I don't know if that's his real name. Probably not. But he went by Trout. My my really good friend named his son. His middle name is Coyote, and I'm super jealous. No way. Yes, he told his <laughs> wife like that they have a boy really for their second kid. He would name. He gets to name the middle name, and she's like, "All right, fine." And they had a son for their second kid, and he's like, "I'm totally naming him Coyote," and I, his middle name. Okay. What's the first name? Um, Can you so, say it? Yeah, I can. Um, I'm not going to, I'm just going to speak like, no, I'm just going to be very vague, but the, the, this guy is really into hunting. And so his first son's name is Hunter and his second son's name is Fisher. (laughs) This is one of the most legit dudes I've ever met. I love this guy. Like he's like my second dad. I was wondering if it was like a, like Christopher Coyote Mm -mm, or like Fisher Coyote. Coyote. 
Yeah. Okay. It's fish so, or coyote. That's badass and rec- redneck and everything all at the same time. Dude, I like, love it. I'm so jealous. It doesn't turn out to be super awesome. That's a total <laughs> letdown. <laughs> He's a good kid. I like him. His dad is like a second dad like, to me. How He's can so you, legit. Like you have to live up to your name, son. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's at the age now where he's making so much racket all the time that he is like a coyote and he's like skinny and wiry and running around everywhere. So yeah, he's living up to it pretty good. All right. All right. Cool. (laughs) But my parents named me Seth Allen. That's so boring and lame. Come on, mom. (sighs) Yeah, that's, I mean, just good old quality solid name though. It's true. I mean, it's better than Lauren, Lauren Jean. I feel like just go down to the no lauren's a great <laughs> name know. my dad's name is lauren but a different lauren, I love yeah l-o yeah yep yeah i love my first name but like you put my first name and my my middle name like lauren jean it just sounds like whatever no no use it to your advantage when you go south ha, my name's name. lauren like all at one yeah, yeah. Oh, oh that like that's my first like that's the name i go by yes exactly like Mary Kate. All right. Exactly. Exactly. Kellyanne. Maybe yeah. not that one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. Well, either way, I I haven't really been to the South, so gotta gotta do that once. Yeah, I went to Kentucky. Farthest south I've ever been is Kentucky. Well, Florida, but it doesn't count. That's not the South, in my yeah, opinion. Well, maybe it is. Florida. I went to Florida, but it was like the beachy town, so it didn't feel like. Yeah, I was at Disney perfect. World. I can't, I don't feel like that's an accurate representation of Florida. No, definitely not. I was going to make a Florida joke, but I don't want to make my Floridian fans mad. (laughs) Oh no. There's always the Florida man joke. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, I mean, Disney world had plenty of fat people in meth, but I don't know if that accurately represents all of Florida. Just most. (laughs) Just the, I don't know, 90%. (laughs) (laughs) no lauren we're gonna no. get shanked we need to talk and about then, hound hunting and not, and not, not okay. crazy floridians move this on. i had a great time in florida when i did go so yeah me too and one of my friends know. one of my friends might be coming up um to deer hunt with me um this season he uh is an athletic trainer for the tampa bay race and hmm. uh dang he uh, wants to deer hunt so we'll see what happens I, I really want to go up to the Midwestern, like Northern Midwestern states to hunt whitetail. I just, that's just something you got to do. It's like on a bucket list of hunting. I, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's remarkably different than hunt deer or raccoon. Like it's what whitetail. Come on, dude. Well, of course I'm going to hunt bear and raccoon. I know, I know you, I know. but what I mean is like <laughs> destination wise, like I've always wanted to just sit freezing my butt off in a tree stand and just like, shoot a big whitetail buck but i have a feeling that's probably really expensive since everyone wants to do that so i'll just instead run around and chase coons with you or like south dakota um i uh it's another good spot i think Hmm. i mean there's lots of people that are listening right now that know a lot more than me so i'm just hunting in my backyard this year you know what's the coon population like this year for you that's a really good question um we're my 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 training spots i didn't shoot out a lot last year um i did go in the 
in the back 80 um, a couple days ago and there was a mom and two kids that were right in the den tree so I mean there's the population is there I did see a bunch of kits um, I see a lot of kits on the road so that means that there's a lot mm -hmm. of them yeah they're dispersing so yeah um, so I think based on that it's good and it people don't hunt them so I, I just feel crazy. like coons are one of those animals that they just so adaptable and common that it doesn't really matter probably I don't know that's just yeah a, it's it's there's there's a lot of corn this year and it's a mast crop season too for acorns nice. so nice i mean next year is probably gonna be really good the hair population see. sucks this year i keep a really like obsessive tab on it and yeah. uh it was a that that um rabbit hemorrhagic virus came through and wiped a bunch out and then it was just an awful dry year record heat and basically no monsoon this year for us so it's going to be slow going I, i've been lucky and gotten my hairs up within two hours every time in the last yeah. two times but i mean i mean you, you yeah. haven't been you haven't been doing this quite long enough but like everybody else that you talk to who does it do they see like big cycles of the population of hair Oh yeah. And so I'm a small mammal biologist and I've been doing it for 10 years. So, I mean, I, I just, cause I wasn't hunting, I, I kind of had a tab on it, but not as this obsessive, let's just say that, but yeah, definitely. There's, there's always a boom and bust cycle in, in rodents and lagomorphs like rabbits and rodents. Um, but this, uh, this disease was new. This was a novel rabbit disease that came through here. Uh, RDH, R, uh, RHDV type two rabbit hemorrhagic disease virus type two is a new virus. It's a new strain of the type one virus. And so no one had immunity to it. No one had resistance to it. And in some populations, they were knocked back 60%. Holy cow. Well, anything hemorrhagic just sounds like a horrible way to go. It is, dude. Their lungs basically just turn into like jelly and they just cough up their own lungs and blood and die. It's awful. Ew. Yeah. Horrible. And I would just see like dead rabbits strewn all over the place. In certain the areas that got ravaged. It, right? hmm? The dogs can't catch it. Oh no, no. It, it isn't transmissible to humans or dogs. It only affects okay. rabbits and hares and some kinds of rodents. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just wonder if like you've got to vaccinate your dogs for anything different. No, no, no. But what sucks is that it can live on a it can live inside an infected carcass for a couple months. So if a hare walks by and sniffs that carcass and it kills them within 48 hours holy cow yeah so they don't even have time like once they start showing symptoms they have about 24 hours to live man too bad rabbits don't have like little mini rabbit guns they can just be like well it's over <laughs> well i mean <laughs> in all seriousness for a rabbit as soon as you show any kind of disease or sickness or you're toast a predator is going to pick you yeah, up instantly coyotes can find you yeah i mean that's the one thing that like a lot of people that are like, don't you think it's cruel that you like chase hares with your dogs? And I'm like, tell me what rabbit in the world, like, how do you think any hare dies? They, they don't have like a rosy death where they're like mm -hmm. reading last rites and the kids no, are watching their like will video. Every rabbit that's ever died, died of like starvation, the elements, disease, or being mauled to death by a predator. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. I yeah mean, and when it gets taken by the dogs it's like fast it's oh, done dude, there's three like, 70 right pound dogs hitting them all at once you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's over yeah snaps it's not gonna it's done 
Yeah, I would much rather be killed by my coursing dogs than by a hawk or an eagle. That's like the worst. Oh, death. totally. I agree. Yeah. Because they don't even good really thing care. Not, like, they just start eating you. Yeah. Good thing there's not like prehistoric size like birds, like pterodactyls that we have to watch out for anymore. Yeah. The largest eagle that ever lived in the modern era was the Host's eagle. And it ate like moas, which are an extinct form of like flightless birds that lived in New Zealand. And those Host's eagles were gigantic gigantic dude like i'm not going to give an exact wingspan because i don't know exactly but they were by far the largest evil eagle that's ever lived and how do you spell it h-a-a-s-t apostrophe s they were definitely big enough to prey on small kids yeah good thing they're not around anymore yeah yep i'm looking it up right now yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty uh, intense. Uh, just says the weight of 15 kilograms, but birds are light to begin with. So. Right, so 15 kilos, that's like a 30-pound eagle. To put that into perspective. A golden eagle, which is the tallest eagle in the world, is only 8 to 9 pounds. So they were like yeah. three times bigger. Anyway. Not, yeah, okay, we can move on. I was going to say, dude, <laughs> I, was, I, was going deep down, I was going deep down a Google rabbit hole here trying to find the, <laughs> I hope the listeners are too, because and like, then like, yeah, and I get started. <laughs> then like the, you know, where it says like more results on Google that yes. are like related to your search. The first one says, could a host eagle kill a human? There you go. So <laughs> yeah, that's not, so I wasn't the first one to think that. Same way. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> Lauren, Lauren, me and you can chat forever. You notice that? (laughs) Yeah. I feel like we (laughs) We should probably wrap this bad boy up. (laughs) Probably. People might be getting bored of like our random conversations that have nothing to do with dogs. No, but you know what? Everyone wants to learn about giant man-eating eagles. That's pretty rad. Yeah. I was talking to Corbin about crocodiles and I was feeling guilty about like tangenting on saltwater crocodiles, but I just want like all the listeners to geek out with me for a second on how huge and terrifying a saltwater crocodile is and like corbin told me after the interview when we were just kind of chatting afterwards he was like i was in the infantry and he's like i would rather run across like interlocked machine gun fire than get into a pool of water with a crocodile like a saltwater crocodile like i don't want to be taken for a death roll i just really don't want to be going that that i don't want to go that way that sounds like it'd be a great metal (laughs) album cover though death roll death like roll. like that'd be a great metal metal no no that's my prison name <laughs> oh, oh that's pretty good nice yeah. dude yeah. i'm gonna start calling you that now <laughs> lauren death and roll lauren death roll branny yeah <laughs> and with that death roll <laughs> yeah <laughs> we better close this out wrap it up lauren i like the way you wrap it up uh all right seth i'm coming down there this winter at some point and uh i'm gonna have my dogs you're gonna have your dogs we're gonna get into the prairie who knows what's gonna happen let's hope i've got gps collars on mine but uh you follow your dogs and i'll follow mine hounds follow your hounds and i'll follow mine death roll i'll talk to you later (laughs) buddy (laughs) 